Well, tonight we're going to continue our series on the laws of seed time and harvest. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about the sower. And I actually encourage you to be the sower. Not just a sower, but be the sower who sows the word and uh, who reaps a great harvest from it. And uh, uh, I'm going to make some points here tonight with Scripture. And each point starts off with be the one. Be the one. Be the sower. How many does it take? Well, you know, it takes all of us, the body of Christ working together. But one plus God is a majority. Amen. I was taught that. I've been taught that my whole life growing up. I was taught that if, if one plus God equals a majority, actually God by himself is the majority, and yet he has chosen to partner with us. Amen. God has called you to be his partner in sowing and reaping. Amen. And so we, we want to be the one that God uses to bring forth his harvest in the earth. God is a seed-planting sower himself. Amen. And Jesus is the main seed that God planted. I was, uh, I was reading about that today. and I was reading you know, Genesis 3.15 where the prophecy comes forth in the Garden of Eden. See, God put the first man in a garden. And the man messed up by eating the fruit from the wrong tree. And so a seed was involved. And, and Adam partook of the wrong seed and sowed through his rebellion and disobedience, sowed evil into the earth. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was in charge of the earth. God had made the world, but he put the world in Adam's hands. And all the seed that God created was really uh, made by God, but it was put into the hands and care of the man. And the man misappropriated the seed, ate the wrong seed, and introduced Satan's seed of rebellion into the earth. But uh, in Genesis 3.15, God says uh, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a perpetual war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But the end of that war is going to be the serpent will be crushed. His head will be crushed. Even though he bruises the heel of the, of the seed of the woman, he will be crushed. So he prophesied all the way back there in the Garden of Eden, he prophesied Satan's defeat. Well, then moving all the way forward to the New Testament, in uh, John 3.16, see the Genesis 3.15, we go to John 3.16, we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God sent a seed. He sowed a seed into the world, and uh, he basically planted himself into the world to save the world. And isn't it interesting that Jesus went into a garden to pray. 
and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was tempted. He was sorely tested. He was under a lot of pressure in the garden, and he passed that test. Adam in a garden failed the test. Jesus in a garden passed the test. And then Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, that was in a garden. So Jesus was buried. The seed was planted in a garden. And when that seed three days later came forth, it brought forth a complete reversal of the curse. And so, you know, the, the whole gospel is uh, made possible to us because of this law of seed time and harvest. There was one occasion in the very middle of the story where God sought out a man that would believe him and he found Abram and he took Abram out of the world, separated him from the world and made a new nation out of him and promised him a seed and he promised him many seeds. He said, your seed shall be as the stars of the heavens and as the sand along the seashore. But it all began with one miracle seed, Isaac, which, uh, which was the son of promise. And Isaac is a type of Jesus. And, uh, and Isaac, when he was just still a little boy, a young man, God told Abram to take him up on this mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abram obeyed. He went up to the mountain, took Isaac with him, and laid him out on a on an altar and was 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 coming down with the knife when God stopped him and uh, and he heard this voice saying now I know that you are truly you know basically you're truly a partner with me and and he provided a lamb substitute a ram substitute so that Isaac would be spared but in Abraham's heart, he had already offered up his, own, his, his, his son of promise, his miracle son. Well, they say, and you don't, I don't know how reliable they are, but they do say that that mountain was the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on, Golgotha. And, and that... Uh, Abram, Abraham, because he planted the seed of Isaac on that mountain, spiritually anyway, uh, God was able to bring forth his own son, his own only begotten son, and offer him on that same mountain. So it's, uh, it's an amazing thing how the seeds, the seed of Abraham and the seed of God uh, met really in principle on that same mountain. And uh, I, I didn't plan on telling you all of that, but uh, let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> uh, we want to be the seed that God uses uh, in our generation. We want to be the sower that God uses. We're, we're, we're not just the seed, but we're also the sower. Because we are co-laborers together with God, and God is the sower. But look in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. 
He says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, these are big words. Don't ever discount that word all either. All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower. Who does God give seed to? The sower. The sower. So you want to be the sower. You want to be the sower that God gives the seed to. He that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. The sower is always going to have plenty to eat. And increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Now, I just want to point out in this passage of Scripture, we're being encouraged to be the one who is always sowing seed. We need to be the one who is, because he talks about uh, uh, may abound unto every good work. Be the one who is always abounding in the good work of sowing seeds. Not only uh, be the one who's always sowing seed, but loving it. Be the one who loves to sow. Be the one who lives to sow. So we don't want to be a, a, a seed sower only when we want to satisfy our own need or our own gratification. We don't want to only sow seed when we have a bill to pay and we need God to bless us with extra money. We don't only want to sow seed when uh, we're, we're going to heap the results upon ourselves. No, we need to sow seed because we are seed sowers. We love it. We love to sow because we love to grow and we love to reap. Amen? And, uh, and so you need to be the one who loves. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful sower, a cheerful planter. And so uh, you need to be the one who is always cheerfully sowing and loving every minute of it and living it up. You live to do it. You, you wake up in the morning. Where can I sow today? Who, who can I sow into? What can I sow? You know, you go and open the closet and look in there and try to find something you can sow. Something you can give. There was a time in my life in ministry where I, I, I didn't have much in terms of money. And, uh, and I, would, I would watch the offering plates, you know, pass by me. And, 
And I didn't have anything to put in. And I would get so upset because, because I was raised to be a giver. I was raised to be a sower. And so in those times when I'm, I was in the ministry and I didn't have the ability to sow, and I, I, uh, I, I remember saying to the Lord one day, I said, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this situation. I can't stand not having anything to give. Amen. Now, I was a tither, but you know, how many of you know that tithing is, the, is just the bare minimum? Amen. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you're not really getting into the gear of things until you're giving beyond the time, until you're sowing deeper and broader and wider. And so uh, one day I was just so ex exasperated by this lack that I went through the house and I started gathering up things and tools and clothes and books and you know just just whatever whatever you know and and everything I had was precious to me. You know your books are your friends, right? Your clothes are important, right? They're important to you. And uh, and but I gathered up a, a trunk load of stuff. And I drove it to the church, and after the service, I invited the people to come out to my car. I opened the trunk, and I said, anything here that you want or need, you just take it. And man, they acted like they were at a fire sale. Boy, they, they're digging around in there, and, they're, you know, and it just blessed me. And somebody says, why are you doing this? And I said, because I live to give. I live to give. And you know God is God has blessed me, uh, and 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 that uh, uh, no matter how much I give, I still have a surplus of everything. <laughs> My closet is still so full I can't hardly add another garment in there. Uh, matter of fact, when I when I bought this shirt, I had to get rid of a shirt in order to have a place to put this shirt. My sock drawer is so full. Every now and then I go through there and I, I, I just grab socks that I haven't worn in a long time. And, and they're perfectly good socks and just put them in the, in the Salvation Army bag. Because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make room. Somebody said, well, why don't you just get another chest of drawers? That never even occurs to me. What occurs to me is not build, build a... a uh, another barn to put it in, but get rid of, you know, why do I need excess? Why do I need so much? And we Americans, we're, we especially are, are, are really bad about hoarding and keeping stuff when we need to be living to sow, living to give. Amen. The happiest Christians I've ever met were the people that, that, that you go into their homes and there's hardly anything there. And it's not because they can't afford to have it. It's just they keep giving it away. I knew a man that you didn't dare tell him you liked his tie because he'd take it off and give it to you. I learned that the hard way. I, I, I told him I liked his tie and he took it off and gave it to me. And I, I was holding my hand, I was looking at it, and I was thinking, I, I don't really like this that much. <laughs> so you know what I did? I sold it. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who 
holds, who holds everything very loosely in his hands and is always looking for a place to sow it and to give it because we've found out that God loves a cheerful giver and we want to be the one whom God loves. Amen. He loves. So be the one. Turn to somebody and say, be the one. All right. Secondly, uh, in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 18. Uh, Romans 4.18 says, Who against hope, talking about Abraham now, and Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the father of our faith. So we, we learn how faith operates and how faith works in this area of sowing. We need to be the one who sows in faith. Amen? So Romans 4.18, talking about Abraham, says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. You see, when God gave Abraham the promise that he would be the father of many nations, he referred to his descendants as seed. God says, I'm giving, I'm giving you seed. Now he's speaking to a, a, a man, a barren man, who was married to a barren woman and who had had no children with that woman. And now he's old. And God is saying, I'm going to give you seed. And so he hopes in the word of God. He ignores the natural. And he focuses all of his faith and hope on what God said. And he's believing for seed. He's believing for seed. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You see, if you're strong in faith, you're going to give glory to God. Strong faith glorifies God. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to also perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, this is the one, this is the sower who, without any evidence in the natural or in the, in the physical or in the flesh, he saw his harvest through the word of God. So be the one who sees the harvest before it comes. Amen. Amen? Be the one who sees the harvest before it comes. Uh, Romans goes on. He talks about how how uh, God, uh, in the operation of God, how God's faith works, was he calls things that be not as though they were. See, the seed, the seed, which is the word of God, the promise of God, 
is your vision. It's the vision. Whatever God says, that's your vision. And you begin to focus on that and not on the natural circumstances. You need to be the one who visualizes the harvest through God's promises. Amen? If God said it, I can have it. If God said it, I can have it. In order for me to possess it, I have to see it. So you need to be the one. Be that sower that as he's sowing, he sees the harvest. Now I gave you some, uh, I gave you some seed packets. And on the front of that seed packet is a picture of the fruit of that seed. Why do they put that there? Well, it's an identifier. It helps you, like if you're in the, in the store and you're picking out seed and you're looking for tomatoes, all you got to do is find the picture of the tomato. And you uh, hope then that the seed in that package is a tomato seed. Amen? A certain amount of trust involved there. Because you haven't held that, that, that tomato that's on that, on that package. You haven't held that in your hands. Somebody did though. Somebody held that tomato in their hand and took a picture of it. And then they put it on the seed packet. And then you buy the seed packet. And you know that that seed in there will produce that picture. Even though you've never held that fruit in your hand. You see it, you visualize it, and you can even taste it in your salad that you're visualizing. Because even your salad hasn't, you know, materialized yet, but you know it's coming, and you know it's going to have a tomato in it. Why? Because you can see it. You know, th there's not a farmer in the world that doesn't exercise this principle when he's planting his crops. He's visualizing the harvest. He's visualizing himself reaping that harvest. He can see it when he goes to bed at night and closes his eyes. He's not seeing the, the, the ground that has no visible signs of a plant. He's not seeing the seed under that soil. He's not visualizing that little seed down. He's visualizing the harvest. He's always focused on the harvest. And you need to be the one that is always focusing on your harvest. Your harvest. The one you planted for. Not somebody else's harvest. Not the harvest of the evil, wicked people. But your harvest. And that requires a certain amount of discipline. And focus. Because in this world, what we see and what we're seeing with our eyes is a harvest. But it's the harvest of the wicked. It's the harvest of sin seeds that have been planted. When you look at the paper, if you still read paper, or if you look at your phone, or if you look at your computer, or if you look at your TV, and you're watching the news, and all these bad things are happening, don't focus on that, because that's not your harvest. Well, I want to know what's going on in the world. Well, what's going on in the world is their harvest. The harvest of the wicked. The results of rebellion against God. 
See, they have a harvest too. But it's not your harvest. You didn't sow for that. Well, man, before I came to the Lord, though, I was a, I was a bad person. Yeah, and that person's dead. Amen. And you're a new creature. And so you're not going to reap that person's harvest. That har- the harvest of the person you used to be, Jesus reaped it for you. He bore your sins. And He carried your griefs and sorrows. I have a hallelujah. Amen. So that's not your harvest. I'm thankful that I came to the Lord at a young age because I was headed for a lot of trouble. I knew my nature. And when the preacher got up, Jerry Hobbs, the evangelist, the young evangelist, who I'm still friends with on Facebook, when he got up one, one Sunday and he began to preach about hell, and the people that are going there, as a 12-year-old boy, I knew I was headed for hell. And man, when he, I couldn't wait for him to give the altar call. When he gave the altar call, I was the first one down there, and I was squalling and bawling, telling God, I don't want to go to hell. And, uh, and I accepted the payment that was made to redeem me from that curse. Amen. Amen. I didn't love Jesus. I didn't want to go to hell. I got saved out of purely selfish reasons. I did not want to go to hell. But before the day was over, I was in love with Jesus because he took the burden away. He lifted the burden off of my life. And uh, and so uh, you need to be the one who can see the harvest. Amen? Now, look in Genesis 26, verses 1 through 4. It starts out saying that there was a famine in the land. Now, Abraham is gone, and Isaac is now the patriarch. Isaac has inherited everything Abraham had. Now, Ishmael was given a uh, severance package. And Abraham had other sons after Sarah. And they they were given severance packages. But the bulk of the inheritance passed to Isaac. And so we have here in Genesis 26, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now we know that he's talking about his descendants. 
his sons, his grandchildren, his great grandchildren, and so on. We know we know he's talking about his his uh, heritage, his downline, right? But you got to remember that Isaac was a sower, and he must have got confused here and thought God was talking about his seeds, his, his, uh, his grain. Because he goes out and he sows seeds for a harvest in the time of famine. Somebody should have told him, no, God's not talking about that. God's not interested in prospering you financially. God's talking about your spiritual prosperity. Isaac, get off this expecting a harvest in the famine. Come on, man. Nobody's planting seeds now. You're just wasting it. No, no, Isaac says. No, no, God said he would multiply my seed. And I know he's talking about my descendants. But I also know he's talking about these seeds I'm holding in my hand. And so he sowed. It says here he sowed. Verse 12. Genesis 26, 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land. What land? The land that was experiencing famine. And received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. You know why? Because sowers sow in the hard times. You need to be the sower. Be the one who sows when nobody else is sowing. All the other farmers were saving their seed for after the drought was over. But Isaac never saw himself as a seed saver. Amen. He saw himself as a seed sower. He said, I'm a sower. And I've got God's promise that he will multiply whatever seed I sow. Yes, and so what difference does it make if there's a famine? What difference does it make if there's no water? If there's a drought? What difference does it make? If there's locusts and bugs everywhere, what difference does it make if there's hailstorms? Brush fires and tornadoes. What difference does it make? I'm a sower. I have seed. A sower sows seed. I love to sow seed. I live to sow seed. And God has promised to bless me. He's promised to bless the seed I sow. So I don't care if nobody else is sowing. I'm sowing. And he sowed. Be that one. Sowing in hard times makes it possible for you to reap in the good times. James Payne said that. Y'all don't know who James Payne is maybe, but he's a, he's a, he's a seed sower. He's a, he talks about this a lot. He said, if you sow in the hard times, you'll reap in the good times. Amen. Just be a sower. You know, they, uh, there was a time in my life where I sold life insurance on the side. I was, I was, a, I was a pastor 
but they talked me into selling life insurance on the side. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. And I was so good at it that I had to quit it because <laughs> it was interfering with the, my ministry. And the Lord said I couldn't serve two masters. He said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So he told me to choose. And so I chose my calling over making money. I was making, just in, in a couple of nights a week, I was, making, I was making thousands of dollars. In my first three months, I sold over a million dollars worth of life insurance. I mean, so they wanted me to go full-time, of course. And I had to make a decision. Y'all know what decision I made? I mean, I'm here, right? Okay. That was a while back, 30-something years ago. But, you know, I, I've never regretted that decision. Because I, I'm, I'm a sower. And a sower sows into the promise that God has made. And whatever God's called you to do, that, that, that's where your promise is. Amen? And that's where your authority is. So, uh, you know, you start sowing in the hard times. And God will bless you. It says Isaac sowed the same year, reaped a hundredfold. And then it says in verse 13, And the man waxed great, and went forward and grew until he became very great. Well, don't you want to be that one? Don't you want to be the one that waxes great? That means he just oozing. He was just oozing success. Wax, you know, wax when it melts, it just kind of oozes. He was waxing. He was oozing great. And he went forward and grew until he became very great. Now I'll remind you, he started out inheriting everything Abraham had. But he became greater than Abraham in terms of possessions. He was richer because Abraham's wealth that he received as an inheritance got multiplied. Until he became very great. He became very great by being a sower who would, was willing to sow even in the famines. So be the one that sows in the hard times. Be that one. Amen. Genesis 26, 12. You want to underline that. And then let's turn to Psalms 126. Psalms 126. Here's the promise of God. Now you know you can take a promise to God, a promise of God, you can take it to the bank, right? Yes, indeed. God's good for it. Always. If God writes you a check, it's not going to bounce. It's not going to be insufficient. So a promise of God is God writing you a check that's not going to bounce. Psalm 126, verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again 
with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We used to sing that song when I was growing up, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. I asked my mother one day, I said, why are we singing about bringing in the sheets? Because she would hang their sheets out on the clothesline. And then she'd send me out there to gather them up and bring them in the house. And uh, I, I thought they were singing about bringing in the sheets. I didn't know what a sheave was. Well, a sheave is your harvest. But I want you to notice that before the harvest comes, there's tears. There's weeping. There's going forth. There's effort. There's struggle. But you need to be the one that's willing to shed the tears so that you can reap in joy. Be that one, okay? Sowing in hard times. Be that one. And then, you need to be the guy that they're talking about in James chapter 5, verse 7. You need to be the one who stands his ground. You need to be stubborn about it. Be the one who will not desert his harvest. Be the one who will not run or quit when he's waiting on his harvest. James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore. Uh-oh. Nobody wants to be patient because that, that sounds like you're going to have to wait. That's why, that's why we're talking about the law of seed, time, and harvest. Between the seed and the harvest, there's time. And the time is a testing for you. The time is when your faith is tested. When you're, te you're tempted to lose your vision. You're tempted to get tired and quit. He said, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. That means all, be patient all the way to the end. Behold the husbandman. And for our purposes tonight, let's just say the sower. The husbandman, the sower waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the earlier and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now, we've, we, we, all, we read this, we often focusing on the coming of the Lord, but what we need to see here is that God is the husbandman and God is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for His harvest. And He's had long patience for it. He's had how many thousands of years? But God will receive His harvest. This is our example. And you need to be a person of patient endurance so that you'll not give up on your harvest. It's coming. Why? Because it's based upon the prophecy, the Word of God, the seed that God gave you. Now, go back in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel. 
2 Samuel and chapter 23, verse 11. One of David's mighty men, if you haven't read about David's mighty men, you need to read it. It's here in 2 Samuel. Amazing people. Amazing people. Makes all those, you know, um, superheroes, you know, those Marvel characters, makes them look weak. Plus, they were real. And we're going to look at a guy named Shama. 2 Samuel 23, 11. And after him was Shama, the son of Agi the Herod. He was, he, was he was a son of an Agi. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. Lentils or beans or peas. Jimmy Swagger preached on this uh, famously years ago. He called it the pea patch. The title of his sermon was I've left the pea patch, I've left my pea patch for the last time. Because the people would flee from when the Philistines see the Philistines were scavengers. They would let the Jews clear the land, dig up the land, plant the seed, grow the crops, and right when it was time to go and harvest the crops, the Philistines would come swooping down and steal their harvest. And the, uh, the, the Jews would flee because the Philistines, you know, they were bullies. They had weapons. They, they were gangsters. Alibaba, you know, and it's 40 thieves. But Shammah, in verse 12, stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord and the Lord wrought a great victory. Jimmy Swaggart preached, I, I've left my pea patch the last time. In other words, I, I've had all that I can stand and I can't stand no more. He ate his can of spinach and he stood in his pea patch and he defeated his enemy. And we need to be that tenacious about our harvest. Satan wants to come for what purpose? To steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your harvest. So no matter how bad the big bad wolf huffs and puffs and threatens to blow your house down, you need to stand your ground. Be the one who will not run. Be the one who won't give it up. Because you've sown for it. It's God's promise to you. And Satan can't have it. He has no right to it. So be the one who stands your ground. Can you say amen? That's me. I'm going to fight for my right to harvest my own beans. Amen? I could, go, I could really go into this about the times in my life when, when I've had to really fight to stay in the fight. Amen? 
Uh, turn to Galatians 6, verse 7. Uh, we use this a lot, but it is it, it, it illustrates how we need to not quit. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth. Now, we've established that you're a sower. Whatever you sow. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. And God stands by this with his, with his whole character and being. And God will not be laughed at. God will not be ridiculed. God will not be mocked by those who say you won't reap. Amen. God's putting his whole weight and force, his whole glory, his integrity, His anointing, His grace, His power. He's putting it all behind your right to reap what you sow. Good or bad. You're going to get your rightful harvest. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. The unrepentant seed sower of evil is going to reap that harvest. He will reap it. See, God took offense uh, back in, in uh, I think it was the book of Malachi. He took offense at the people because they were going around, they were going around telling, you know, saying that, you know, the, the wicked prosper and God doesn't do anything about it. And God says, you're provoking me. In other words, you're taking me off by saying that. The first psalm, it talks about you being a tree of righteousness planted by the rivers of water. It says in the next verse, but the ungodly are not so. But they are cut off. There's a scripture that says you'll look for them and, and not even be able to find them. I mean, they're going to reap, they're going to reap their harvest. Amen. Amen. We pray for them that they'll come to repentance so that they can receive forgiveness of their sins and become new creatures like you did. But if they don't, they're going to reap their evil harvest. They're going to reap their corruption. And when the Bible uses the word corruption, it's talking about hell. So the evil men and women of this world that are reaping all these evil things that you're seeing going on, Nations reap what they've sown. But the people of God are not so. We reap a different harvest. And we, we, we don't need to stand in the line to reap their harvest. We stand in the line to reap our harvest. And he says, He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You see the difference? And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, at the right time, we shall reap if we faint not. That's a big, big, big important thing. Don't be weary in well-doing because in due time, we shall reap if we don't quit. 
As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see, you need to be the sower that is there when it's time to harvest. You need to be the sower that is present for the harvest. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't wander off. And I have to admit, you know, that this is where I have the greatest difficulty as a pastor, especially at this stage in my life, you know, where I'm, you know, a Medicare recipient. You too. Yeah, me too. You know. And I've been toiling and I've been planting and I've been watering and I've been planting and I've been praying and I've been believing and I've been the one who sowed it and loved it, lived it, visualized it, sowed in the hard times, you know, stood my ground. But it seems like the, the, the older I get, the more difficult it is to keep myself in position for the harvest. Because I get tired. I get weary. I come to church expecting. And I realize it's not, well, today wasn't the time, I guess. So I, I, go, I go and encourage myself in the Lord and get my attitude right and repent on Monday. You see, a very wise old pastor told me when I was first starting out, never resign on a Monday. I can't tell you how many times that, that word of wisdom has kept me in the fight. Because I, nope, don't ever wait till Tuesday. And Tuesday, you know, by Tuesday, it's past. You know, I mean, I've been... I, I, God's had time to get a hold of me and jerk me right. So Tuesday, I'm raring to go. Say, Pastor, that's a horrible confession to make. Listen, I've almost quit this church. Let's see. How many Mondays have been in 26 years? That's, that's how many times I've nearly quit this church. You say, Pastor, that's a terrible confession to make. No, Mondays are horrible. Ruth, Ruth will tell you. Her chief occupation on Monday is to encourage me and cheer me up and tell me what a great sermon I preached. And it's not that I get down and, and, and I get negative in my, my, my confessions and all that. I'm, I'm smart enough not to let... But she can tell by just, you know, my countenance and the way I'm dragging around the house. And, you know. But I'm not a quitter. If I was a quitter, I would have quit before I ever started. Because you know, this isn't the first the first church I've pastored. I've pastored for fifty two years. I can't tell you how many times in that fifty two years 
that I've that I, I, I've God, you got to help me make it through Monday. <laughs> Especially if the Cowboys lost on Sunday, you know. Oh, you say, well, Pastor, that don't matter. Well, yeah, it does, because when I was having church on Sunday nights and I was in Texas. Sunday morning, everybody be all excited, all pumped up, and you know, ready to go and win the game and all that kind of stuff. And if the Cowboys lost on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, they were you you were at a funeral. If they came to church at all, I'm talking about Holy Ghost people. And boy, if they lost the game, the Dallas Cowboys would call them the Cardiac Cowboys. Because usually they would they would lose in overtime or they would lose in the last second, and so I'm glued to it myself. Oh man, they lost again. Well, let's go to church. And I'd go to church, and I'd be just as upset as everybody else, affected by things that should not affect you. Amen. And then I'd have I'd have to smile and preach at. Uh, you know, a uh, faith-filled message. A whole time I'm kicking those cowboys, man. Amen. And you could you could put you could insert any team anywhere in the world in that. It's gotten so bad, uh, and uh, in you know the soccer world that they can't even have church on Sunday. They have church on Saturday in Central America. They have church on Saturday because on Sunday all the men are at soccer game. And if, if they had church on Sunday morning, it would only be the women that would come. The men and the children would go to the soccer game. So they start having church on Saturdays. That's sad. That's sad. But it's a whole lot easier to have church before they lose the game than after. Because people are affected emotionally by what's going on around them. Well, we're all human. We all have these feelings. And so, you know, uh, uh, my biggest my biggest struggle is becoming weary and well-doing. I know I'm doing well. I know I'm doing right. Matter of fact, the Lord told me I was. I, one time, Rand Montgomery, our missionary, uh, he was he was a missionary to Pakistan at the time. He came to see us, and uh, we're driving in the car, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just filled the car. It, I mean, I couldn't even see out the windshield. I had to pull over. I had to pull over and stop the car, and Rand starts prophesying to me. <coughs> Here's the word of the Lord to you, brother Ron. God says you're doing okay. You're doing okay. God says you're doing okay. And I'm thinking, is that the best He can say? <laughs> but many times the Lord has reminded me that I'm doing well. Don't be weary in well-doing. Now I know if, if I have those struggles, I know you do too. Don't look at me sanctimoniously like that. All you people around the world and watching on on uh, on social media, you you know what I'm talking about. We what, the biggest temptation 
is when time ticks on and time keeps going and we haven't seen our harvest yet, the big temptation is to get tired of it, weary of it, and throw in the towel and go do something else. If 25 people start out in the ministry together, preaching, within 20 years, only one of them is still preaching and still active. 24 out of 25 drop out in the first 20 years. So don't tell me it isn't hard. Why, what causes them to drop out? They faint because they're not, they're not determined to be there when the harvest comes. Well, after 50-some years, I ain't about to miss out on the harvest. I'm not about to quit. Amen. I might not have felt that way Monday, but Tuesday. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Not every Monday's like that. Sometimes Thursdays are like that. I don't know. But, but uh, uh, for illustrative purposes. Okay. I might be exaggerating a little bit. Not much. But I, I thank God and you ought to as well. Thank God for that old preacher that told me that. Never quit on a Monday. Amen. I remember... Um, Oh, what was the pastor's name at uh, the Pensacola Brownwood Church, Brownsville Church? John Kilpatrick. I remember John Kilpatrick, the story was that he was pastoring that church, and that church had a lot of problems. Had a lot of problems, and he decided to quit. He had his resignation typed up and laying on the pulpit. It's on a Father's Day. And he was preaching his Father's Day sermon with the intent at the end of his message to read his resignation letter and throw in the towel and quit. Before he could read his resignation letter, the power of God came on that congregation. And God manifested and then began that huge and famous Pensacola Revival. Well, when I heard that story, I, I, I went in and typed up my resignation letter. I thought, I'm going to put that on the pulpit and see if the power of God will fall. Amen. Well, it didn't work that way for me because you can't manipulate God. Amen. But at the same time, I wonder what would have happened if he had resigned the Sunday before. You know, we don't want to abort our harvest by giving up. Amen. Now, if God gives us instruction to do something thus and so, then we will obey God and we will do what he says. But God never tells people to give up and quit. He may redirect, reassign, or reform or reshape, but he will not ever say, you're a loser, you, go, you don't get a harvest. We get a harvest. Amen. Amen? We get a harvest. Because why? Because we're sowers. 
We have a lifestyle of sowing. We have a lifestyle and we love it and we live it. We see it. We see the harvest. We fight for it. We contend for it. And we show up for it in the end. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Praise God. God bless you.